then we really feel like we're kind of missionaries to the financial field, so to speak, in helping people steward or wisely manage whatever financial resources have been entrusted to them. Today, we have a special guest, longtime friend of mine, Tom Techmeyer. We've uh, worked together on a lot of different uh, committees and at some not-for-profits and uh, been through a lot together. Tom will talk about uh, being a missionary into the uh, world of, of finances and how he works with his clients on a big picture uh, look at how it is they go about investing that money. So it's a long episode. Tom's got a lot to say and an important, Tom's got a lot to convey and some great stories to illustrate how it is he's able to make a difference in the lives of the people he's associated with. Without further ado, Tom Techmeyer. Welcome to the Chapin Commute, Mr. Tom Techmeyer. The podcast is called The Chapin Commute. It's set to be roughly the same length as the typical commute. So I like to ask a guy about your commute. How far is your commute? I commute 45 minutes every day from my front door at home to the front door of my office and 45 minutes back. So it's a great opportunity on the way to work. Usually I try to listen to David Jeremiah or Jack Graham or Jack Hibbs. Some, and sometimes I take a little bit of time, depending on my schedule, I'll take time to pray about the day going up there. The great thing about that commute is it's a very easy commute because it's all interstate. But coming home, whatever happened during the day has long been forgotten. So I've never... Never, never kick the dog. You know, it's been long forgotten. So it gives me a great opportunity to pray over the day and give thanks for whatever went on. Uh, and just th that I had the opportunity to go to work again today. And hopefully it was a blessing to somebody. All right. And what you've told us how long it is, you told us what you do on your commute, all important factors um, and facts. What do you use to make that? I drive my Highlander. Tom and I have been friends for a long time. Uh, he has been a great influence on my life and uh, really given me some wise uh, comments and background over the years. And I want to expose the audience to the wisdom of the great Tom Techmeyer. So I would like to start off with Tom introducing himself and telling us and what do you do for a living and what do you see your role in your profession in providing uh, to your clients? Sure, Dave. Well, first, let me just say thank you to you and Sarah for this opportunity to be a part of this. Uh, it's always a real blessing to be able to try and impact even one person with something that's truth, that's something that hopefully is full of wisdom and something that they can take and apply to their lives that will help them. Uh, maybe avoid some mistakes that I've made in the past and uh, uh, just help them uh, get on the right path in what, whatever area it is we're talking about. So I'm excited to be a part of this today and I really appreciate the invitation. So 
I grew up in Omaha and came to Lincoln in the fall of 74 to go to the university. And I graduated from there and, and got a job right away. I spent about four years in, in the radio business, learning a lot of different things. And then I got a chance to get into the investment business. And so right at 40 years ago, this time of year, uh, I, I got into the investment business. So I spent the first 13 years working for two large firms. One was based in Minneapolis, the other was based in Omaha. And I just didn't like the way the management was taking the company in terms of how they were treating clients, how they were doing business. It was just more about, you know, what are you, what are you doing to, um, to produce something without really being solutions-based? They were just wanting us to be product-based. And, and so uh, about 30 years ago, while well, it would have been spring of 1990, uh, so 33 years ago, uh, while at a conference in Niagara Falls, became apparent to me that I could have helped this organization from going under if I'd had the chance to consult with them. Their, their board had was responsible for managing and stewarding some discretionary income, a, a bad decision with what to do with this money. And I was really troubled by that because I thought, you know, if I could have just consulted with them, given them a little bit of advice, given them some direction, some guardrails, if you will, from to, to sail their boat or drive their car down that particular lane, then, then this wouldn't be happening. And so it was made clear to us, you know, we really felt led by the Lord. You know, I have a great faith. And I, I, my faith is very real to me. And it's not something that I check at the door. It drives all the decisions that we make and how we make them. But it became clear to me that that was God's call on our life to, to step out and begin our own business slash ministry or ministry slash business. You know, that felt the two go hand in hand because you, you, you can have a great business, but if you don't use it to minister to people and serve them, then I really feel like you're missing the mark. By the same token, you have a great ministry, but if you don't run it wisely like a business, then you can go out of business and lose your opportunity to minister. And, and so we, we went into it, Lori and I, with really trying to accomplish four things. And, and one was to use the platform of money because that's sort of the universal topic that people everywhere are interested in. And if you're going to stand up and talk about money, uh, you have their attention because they want to know what you got to say and they want to know what you know. And so I've been real fortunate and blessed to be in an arena where I have that, that platform. But we thought... If we can go into this using the platform of money, number one, to uh, introduce people to Christ who don't know him. Number two, make disciples or followers of Christ to people who do know him by, by you know, using biblical truth to impact how they handle their money, which, uh, I, you know, I think it's the greatest handbook for life ever written. And it's certainly the greatest financial book ever written. If you just take those principles and truths within the word of God and apply them, you're not going to have any any financial problems. I mean, you might run into difficult times, but you'll know how to deal with them and get through them. Uh, just like issues in life all the time. You know, just because people follow the Bible doesn't mean there aren't difficult times, but you can handle them, you can deal with them and, and, and you get through them. That was the second thing to try and help people follow biblical truth. The third thing was to impact families by strengthening marriages so that it wasn't a divisive issue, that money wasn't an issue that drove them apart. And then to impact families by helping to educate children so that so that they didn't do dumb things with money, um, but that they were wise with their money. That, that they just would steward that, steward them well and, and, and avoid 
you know, doing things that were going to get him into trouble. And I, there's a poem that I like by Shel Silverstein. It's a, and it's in a group of poems called Where the Sidewalk Ends. But this particular poem is called Smart. And it goes, uh, my dad gave me $1 bill because I'm his smartest son. And I swapped it for two shiny quarters because two is more than one. And then I took the quarters and I traded them to Lou. I guess he didn't know that three is more than two. Just then along came old blind Bates and just because he can't see, he gave me four nickels for my three dimes and four is more than three. And then I took the nickels to Hiram Combs down at the seed feed store and the fool gave me five pennies for them and five is more than four. And then I went and showed my dad and he got red in the cheeks, closed his eyes and shook his head too proud of me to speak. And so the moral of that poem, which has such great wisdom is that that kid wasn't taught the value of anything, right? He thought that five pennies was worth more than one dollar because five is more than one. And that we see that a lot today. You know, people think that more is more. <laughs> Just as this poem so wonderfully illustrates, more can be less and it can be a lot less. And so we try to help people understand that in life, you know, you need to understand the value of things, the value of relationships, the value of having a great job, the value of having a wonderful family that loves you, the, the value of good health. I mean, just so many things in life that we take for granted and that we don't really ascribe, in my opinion, the proper value to. And so consequently, we treat them cheaply as if, it, if it's not important or a big deal. And so so that's that's a part of our, our, our mission in, in life, I guess, too, along with those other four is just to help people understand the value of things and really to try and help children understand those things. And then the fourth thing is just if we can reproduce ourselves in the lives of others, as we get the opportunity, the blessing to work with them, if we can reproduce ourselves in the lives of others and then have them go out and do those same four things, then we really feel like we're kind of missionaries to the financial field, so to speak, in helping people steward or wisely manage whatever financial resources have been entrusted to them. Okay, so missionaries in the financial world. Interesting concept. That's where you end. And so you start the business and you have those four solid principles. You ultimately become missionaries in the in the financial world. R reminds me of a lot of where, where you you look into um, people and you know uh, pursuing your God-given uh, path in life. You know, the, the guy that every day now, this year, you got a devotional, The Word at Work by Jordan Raynar. And he, about that, but a lot of us have guilt that we're not pastors. We're not real missionaries. You know, that you hear that from, from uh, Christians all the time. But of course we are. You know, God has put different people in different places in the, in the lives of many people to have that, that influence. What, and maybe you think, maybe you've already answered this, but where is, think of an example of, um, of where you've been a missionary in someone's in someone's financial world. What's, what's an example? Where's an example you can think of that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great question, Dave. Thanks for asking that. And I love telling this story. I suppose this has probably been 15, maybe 20 years ago. This couple came into my office. They sat down and we talked just for a little bit. And I could tell right away that the husband, he he wasn't really dialed in here. It, it you got the sense right away that he came to this meeting kicking and screaming, right? And so the wife starts telling me just almost immediately what's going on and that they were manufacturers representatives and the economy had taken a turn, their business had dropped, 
they had bought or built a huge house out in West Omaha. And, and now they, their income had dropped dramatically and they, they weren't, they weren't going to be able to, you know, continue to make these payments unless something changed dramatically. And so she's going on and on and on bearing her soul to me. And I could tell that she's really struggling emotionally with this. And the, I'm looking at the husband and, the, and he keeps just looking down at the ground. He keeps looking at the floor just right across my desk. And so finally she stops talking. So he lifts his head up and he looks at me and he says, so what do you think? <laughs> and I said, well, it occurs to me that you're about to lose your wife or your house and you're going to be the guy that decides which one it is. And immediately the wife just burst into tears. And I thought, for crying out loud, buddy, I've only known her for 10 minutes and I know her better than you do. And so what I had an opportunity was to tell him that it looks to me like you guys have tried to fill a God-shaped void in your life with material things, big houses. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but if that is your defining if that defines who you are, and if that's what you're all about, it's going to be a pretty shallow, empty, pointless, meaningless life. We know Solomon in the Bible tried that, and he did everything. You know, he tried everything. He had all the money needed, all the power, all the prestige, the position as king, you know, all sorts of things. And he just found out it kept coming up short and wanting. It did, he was unsatisfied. And it's just like, I'm like, feel like I'm grabbing for the wind, he said. And so he was very frustrated. So I shared with them the, the, the gospel that the only thing that's going to fill that is a relationship with Christ. And so we had a great opportunity to, to talk about those kind of things and making, uh, you, you know, realizing that you were created in the image and likeness of God. And so you're special to him and he longs for a relationship with you, but he's not going to force that upon you. And so I said, once we got through that part of the conversation, I said, the first thing I would do is I'd go home, find a real estate agent, put a sign in your yard this afternoon, and I'd sell that house and I'd downsize. And then I'd start working on my relationship with Christ because that will impact the relationship with your wife and your kids. And so about six months later, they came back. <laughs> she called me up and said, can we come back and see you again? We'd like to tell you what happened. I said, I'd love to hear the rest of this story like Paul Harvey used to say. And so they came back and they sat down and I said, okay, guys, what happened? He said, well, we put a sign in the yard. It sold that evening. We downsized to an older, smaller home, tree-lined neighborhood, you know, just right-sized our budget and our home and our life and everything. Said we've never been happier. And so that's the that's the kind of real life opportunity things that you get to 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 be a part of when you're counseling people, <laughs> not only with their money, but with their marriage. And, and with the most important thing, and that who it that's who is the center of their life? And if that's not Christ, then you, you're going to you're going to just struggle in a lot of areas. So this is one of the reasons I really love what I do, and it's another reason I don't have any desire to retire. All right. Well, it is a great story about helping folks out in in your life. You know, now that you've, you you told us about your calling towards being a, a missionary um, in the world of finance, what mentors have you had in the past? The best mentor I had was my mom and dad. I mean, they were excellent, excellent examples of how to handle money wisely and how to handle it well. You know, they, they were both people of integrity and they both understood the value of things. You know, both of them lived through the depression. Both, both of them really, re, 
Both of them understood that more wasn't more. <laughs> they understood that poem long before it was written. And so they passed that on to my sister, Jan, and myself in, in the way that we lived. And, and, it, and, and it wasn't shoved down our throats. It was just more in the teachable moments of life, you know, where they would say like, you know, if we don't have the money to buy something, we're not going to get it. That runs very countercultural today. You know, we've made credit so accessible and so easy to get. And that's why now you see today, if you saw that report last week, there's over a trillion dollars charged on consumer credit cards, which means that the average household credit card number is huge. I mean, it's mind boggling blowing. If you divide the households into a trillion dollars, you know, you're, you're going to come up with a pretty, pretty large number. And a lot of those people will either declare bankruptcy to try and just wash that away, or they'll be paying on it for the rest of their life. And neither one of those are good options. And that's why the, bar, the, the Bible tells us that the borrower is servant to the lender. And, and so my folks, they, 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 didn't, they didn't live on debt. They didn't have debt. They paid off their, their house as quickly as they could, made extra payments until it was paid off. And so we, we saw that all the time growing up. And so it was modeled for us. So I'd have to say my folks were my best mentors when it comes to that. We never make the guests reveal their age. You've talked about how your parents came from the Great Depression. You're a friend of mine. And so that means you're not from the younger generation. So we like to, at this point in the meeting, or in the meeting, in the podcast, turn it over to Sarah to get some fresh perspective on the topic. My question is, you told the story of how the couple that was already in crisis, how do you get, how do you teach the younger generation, especially now that really don't, you told the, the story of the poem who more and more and more, and that's what society tells you is the more you have, the better you are. How do you get to them before that crisis happens? So here, here's the thing. Sadly, people come to us a little later in the game, so to speak. They're already like that couple. They are, they're already in the midst of the crisis. But it's great to have somebody that's 25 ask me that question. And I talk to my kids all the time about it because, you know, you can really wreck your life in a hurry by being a really, there's a lot of ways to do that. <laughs> One of them is being really poor with how you handle money. And so what I've tried to help young people understand over the years is that number one, the future is purchased with the present, right? What do I mean by that? Well, if you don't take some present and buy some future by setting money aside, by investing money, you don't buy any future today in the present, then you can't expect any future when you get to the future tomorrow or next year or in 50 years. You know what I'm saying? So the future is purchased with the present. If you don't buy any future today, don't expect any when you get there down the road. Okay. And that's a fundamental truth that you just can't deny. Um, you know, you, th you think about uh, the, the parable of the ant in Proverbs chapter six. Again, written by the world's wisest man, Solomon, right? That he said, think about the ant, consider her ways. What does she do? Chapter six, Proverbs. It says, consider the ant, consider her ways. What does she do? She doesn't have any boss. She doesn't have any ruler, no captain, no overseer. But with a brain smaller than the size of a pinhead, she is smart enough to know that winter is gonna be coming one day and food will be difficult to find. 
So in order to provide or feed her family in the future, today in the present, she's going out, finding food, putting it on her back and taking it to a hole somewhere and hiding it. But can't, you know, she can't hardly carry anything at all. So she just keeps working diligently, diligently, over and over, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, until she feels like she's got plenty of food stored up for the winter so that she's able to care for, provide for, and feed her family. And I think uh, it reminds me, I learned a long time ago uh, when I first got out of college, and I try to share this with young people that are recently out of college or close to it, that goes like this. If you'll do without, while all your friends are doing with, one day you'll be doing with, while all your friends are without. You understand that? Because you see a lot of people get out of school where they know I got to have this, I got to have that, I got to do this, I got to do that. And so, you know, they just keep buying and buying and buying and buying at the expense of setting money aside for an emergency, setting aside money for, you know, uh, you know, some kind of big trip in their life. Or, or, or a new a new vehicle or a transmission repair or retirement clear down the road you know out longer term and 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 they lose sight of that because they're they're living for the moment they're living for right now today and and you know I'm not saying that there's it's wrong to enjoy life and the good things that God gives us but I'm just saying you have to be aware that 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 if you do that exclusively without planning without preparing without looking ahead down the road, like the ant did. And I'd like to think we're at least as smart as she is, but we'd at least be that smart so that we would be preparing for the future. And the only way you can do that is by denying yourself some things in the present. Does that make sense? It does. And, and I, um, I don't want to, to talk about selfishness, you know, and want people to take what, I, what I'm going to say about being selfish. That leads me into the, the, the part here, warm electric that, or that I see uh, in, in a in a company uh, like warm electric, where there's lots of people who all do the same job and they all have the same role within the company and make roughly the same amount of money, but but you have to focus in on your situation because in this world of many people working in two income families, it's hard for you to keep up with the Joneses and the guy next to you because you may have a wife who's uh, stay at home, no income, you know, focusing on work uh, within the, the house and within the managing the, the family and, and doing whatever those things might be. Another guy might have a wife who's a nurse and that brings with that sort of set of economic structure. And another guy's married to a high income person, maybe an attorney. We have people that are married to attorneys or doctors. And then you all of a sudden start thinking, you know, this guy over here, that's where he goes on vacation or their house looks like that, 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 you know, how that goes, or why don't I get to have the same thing? And, and, and back when I first started in this uh, business, and you'd hear all those things, when you had less of that, when you had more single income families, then, then two electricians were kind of living the same lifestyle. But those days are over. Now your lifestyle is determined by a household income, which for two people doing the same job, living in the same place, everything's the same. And so often I see people trying to, to catch up and keep up in a race they can't do. And, and you, we've each been called to do something and, it's, and there's a matter of being satisfied. Um, and as I started out by talking about, you know, focusing on yourself and I don't, again, mean from the selfish thing, but, but what's your situation and how do I manage my situation for the long term? 
And some people are very bad at that. And it's hard. It's hard to see that. It's it's even as a kid in, in elementary school, it's hard to see that so-and-so gets all this other stuff and you wish your family got that too, but you don't. But then when it, when you take it later in life as an adult, it's even harder. Yeah, Dave, that's that's really well said. And we would echo those thoughts by 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 saying that, you know, we all make decisions, right? Just like you said, we all make decisions. The one electrician, you know, the one carpenter, the one investment advisor, whoever, teacher, lawyer, that may be their career and their husband and their wife or whatever. Somebody in the family is staying home, like you said. So they're living off one income rather than two. But the great thing about that is we, we all have the opportunity to make those choices and decisions, but something will pay the price. We're either going to sacrifice our lifestyle or our family, right? In other words, if I want to have all of the toys in life, then I'm going to have to work constantly. And I'm going to have to my, maybe have my wife work constantly. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so then what happens is then things start to suffer at home. The marriage relationship may not be as good as it could be. The relationship with the kids is, is strained because there's not as much time being invested there. So, you know, I'm, I, everybody picks and chooses you know, what, what they want. If you want big houses and big boats and lots of cars and all kinds of stuff and travel, hey, that's your choice to make. But if you value great relationship with a spouse, uh, you know, or uh, uh, your kids, then 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 some of those things, those other things have to take a back seat. And of course, you know, Paul talks about this a lot in, uh, in his letter to, to the Corinthians when he says, you know, I've had a lot and I've had a little. I've had it both ways, you know. I've had plenty, and then I've been times where I was in want. But he said, through it all, I learned to be content. We don't come by contentment naturally. It's, it's, a, it's a learned or a acquired attitude or, or personality trait. And, and, and so Paul is saying, I've learned whatever state I am to be content. And, and I think that's just such great wisdom, because then you're not always trying to keep up with the Joneses. You're not always looking at the guy next door and saying, well, golly, he's got that. And even if I got to take on 15 or $20,000 in debt, that's what I'm going to do. And that's not a good idea. And so I think it is important to just be mindful of the fact that as Paul writes in first Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, I love that. He doesn't talk about more stuff, more money, more gold and silver. He talks about godliness with contentment is great gain. And I think we have far, far fewer divorces, far fewer suicides, far fewer health issues if people would come to grips with that and apply that biblical truth. All right. Well, I've taken a lot of your time. You've been very generous with us. You're a very generous guy. So uh, with that, I'll let that be your last word. And uh, we're thankful that you've taken the time to uh, speak with Sarah and I and the audience today. They are all, I'm sure, better for it. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Dave, and thanks to you and Sarah. Well, Tom, again, is very passionate about his uh, work. Uh, and as you can tell from what he says, he considers it a calling to really get in there and make a difference in the lives of the people he comes in uh, touch with uh, to find out what it is and what that family wants out of their life um, as he goes about being a financial advisor. 
and uh, being a missionary inside of the financial world. Yeah, it's important to figure out how to stop the crisis before it happens. And that um, just God has to be the center of it. Yep. Powerful message from Tom. I would like to close this particular episode by letting you know that our next episode will have a guest host. Um, I am going to be gone and a frequent guest. My brother, Justin Chapin, has recording an episode uh, with a friend of his, uh, Steve Buer. And uh, so our next episode after this one will be hosted by a new person. Uh, not totally new, though, because as many of you know, Justin has been a guest on several occasions. So have a great day, everybody.